year. Thanks, Terry. And uh, <clears throat> I have a cold. Came on a couple of days ago. So if I don't hug people, it's because I I'd like to hug hug you all, but I'm not going to hug you. <laughs> uh, I understand there's been development since I was last here, and uh, I think it will be a great move for Tim and Helen to come here, and uh, <clears throat> I'm sure you know they will have a great input into the church. But I want to say thank you to the guys that have led the church over the last couple of years. I think they've done a great job, and uh, they ha it's to their credit that they have welcomed Tim so freely to come in, and uh, I'm sure that they're going to form a great team, and uh, River Church is really going to go places. I'm very uh, thankful to God for that, and uh, <clears throat> it'll just be, uh, it'll be a great time, I think. Things will go forward. I think that, uh, <clears throat> if you say a bit about ourselves, um, most of you know we're in Worthing, and uh, I'm now the, the pastor of Clifton Community Church in Clifton Road. I'm the sole elder at the moment. Uh, Rob and Trudy, thanks Mark. Rob and Trudy have stood down from leadership. I believe they're coming here in January. Before they go, and at the end of January, they're going to Thailand. Uh, they're going to be working for WEC. They're going to be supervising about 20, 25 missionaries out there, among other things. So, uh, but anyway, it's, I'm rather left in it at the moment. Uh, we've got some good men and women, and uh, I trust in time there'll be a, a bigger leadership team as, me, as us and Jenny Baldwin in the leadership at the moment. Uh, but God is, uh, I'm spending quite a bit of time with some of the other uh, guys in the church and ladies, and uh, I trust that in time we'll have a proper leadership sort of more expanded leadership team. So that's us at the moment. Ups and downs, but God is with us. Uh, I was given the subject of this by, uh, oh no, the truth about salvation. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when you're given a subject like that, you think to yourself, well, what can I say that's new? What can I say that's different to, to every thing that's been said. A lot of you would have heard it a hundred times before. So I'm going to do it slightly differently. I'm going to do it more interactively this morning. And uh, I'm going to get you involved. And I'm going to introduce you to some of my friends. Okay, and we're going to be looking at some of my friends. But the first thing you need to establish when you're given a subject like that is what do you mean by salvation? What do you mean by it? What is salvation? And I, I want to give two, what do we mean by that? I mean, I, there used to be a joke going around. It said that uh, Jesus saves, but Gary Lineker scored on the rebound. Because <laughs> the big thing used to be Jesus saves, you know, people used to go about saying that. And, uh, you know, we say goals. Well, what do we mean when we talk about salvation? Well, I, I will look at two analogies. The first one is a drowning man. And we sort of heard that a bit this morning, that there's been, that if you like, if you were drowning in the sea, you'd need someone to throw, at least throw you a life belt. 
and uh, give you a chance that you might survive. And there is a sense where God has sent Jesus to earth and has provided a life belt for you to be saved from your sins. We've got to understand that we are drowning in our sins as far as God is concerned, whoever we are. Not because you've done any worse than anyone else, but just the fact of who you are, you're a drowning person. And you need a, you need a, a saviour, you need something to save you from the drowning in your sin. And so God sent Jesus to save us. And uh, he gives us that life belt. And he says, hang on to this and you'll be saved. And that's what we do. So that's one uh, picture of salvation. The other one is, is, is from the courtroom. And this is used in the Alpha Course, and I borrowed it from the Alpha Course, where there's two, there's two people, they realise they were friends, the judge and the defendant. The defendant's done some bad stuff, and he's guilty. And, uh, but, but what does the judge do? He's his friend. So he says, I've got to pronounce judgement on you. You deserve a huge fine. And then having, uh, having given the fine, the judge then gets down from being the judge, comes round, writes the guy a cheque, and says, there's, there's your fee pay. I'm going to pay your, your fine for you. I'm going to save you from the, 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 your deserved punishment. And so there is a sense where that's another picture of salvation. It's saving us from the condemnation that we deserve from God, again because of our sin. So we think of a trial, we are condemned for our actions. Jesus pays our fine or serves our sentence and we are free. And we've heard about that this morning. It's freely of God's grace, not by what we do, but because he's done it for us. So there's two pictures of salvation. That's what we're going to talk, that's what we're thinking about this morning, is this saving from our sins. How can God save us from our sins? So how are we saved? Anyone like, now what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to introduce you to some friends. I'm going, to, I'm going to get you to, I'm going to tell you a bit about them and then I want you to tell me why they're, what they believe that's wrong. If you like, this is the mistruths of salvation, about salvation this morning. How, but before we start that, how are we saved? Anyone got a verse to say how we are saved? Fun? We'll be saved. Those that call on the name Lord, that's one answer. No. Yep, they're all good answers. But I'm, I, 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 and, uh, Renee, you had an answer. Right. <laughs> yes, Chris. Yep. No, these are all good, good answers. The one I've chosen was this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you like, the cross is the life jacket, the life belt. The cross is the checkbook that means that you're free from what you deserve. It's the cross, and it's as we cling to the cross, and we sung about that this morning, as we believe that we need what Jesus did on the cross, as we, need, as we believe that, and we, we hang on to it, that we can be saved. And it becomes the power of God to save us. The cross is the power of God. The cross is the place where you give up and you say, Lord, I can't do it. Help me. 
I need what you've done upon the cross. And until you come there, you probably aren't going to get saved. Probably you're flapping about, I can do it, I can, I can, I can save myself. And until you get there and you say, actually, I need a help, I need a life belt, you're not going to be saved. So that's the thing. We need to believe the message of the cross. It's foolishness. Crazy. Just believe. You say, it's crazy. Someone throws you a life belt. And you say, well, it, what's that going to help me? I'm struggling. I'm, I'm floundering. But of course, it's got air in it. And the air enables us to be saved. And so the cross has power in it and will enable us to be saved. So that's the thing. How are we saved? Right then, I'm going to start introducing you to my friends who all have some, I believe, mistruth about salvation. So here's my first friend, Gladys. Let me tell you a bit about Gladys. Okay. She's an elderly lady, you might not be surprised about that, by her name, who has volunteered at her local hospital for 30 years. She cared for a husband for 10 years when he was dying of cancer, and no one has a bad word to say about her. She goes to church at Christmas, but says her good deeds are her religion. But is she saved on that basis? And what I want you to do is I want you to come up with a scripture that would... Is she, is, it, is she saved on the basis of what I've told you and, what, and by these things? Uh, they might have other things going on in their life, but just on the basis of what I say to you, you've got to, I, I'd like an answer. I don't want you looking up concordance. I don't want you looking at Googling. That's the easy way, isn't it? Uh, I want a scripture that would, that would uh, point out where her, the mistruth is about Gladys. Okay. Do you get what we're doing? Anyone got an answer? Filthy rags. That's that could be one, yeah. What's that? What does this say? Yeah. She thinks that by trying to do good works, she can earn salvation. The first mistruth, yes. All these are probably good answers. But this is the one I've chosen. God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now you can have some of the others, but the point is, you're not saved by your good works. No good if you, you might have been a pillar of the community. You might have, everyone might say, hey, what a wonderful guy or girl you are. But that doesn't save you. Our, as Steve said, our righteousness is as filthy rags, however good we are. And we need a saviour. We need Jesus to come and save us. 
And we cannot rely. So if you come up against the Gladys in your life, then uh, this is the sort of scripture you can, you can say to her, maybe, if she's open to it, that she's not going to be saved on the basis of her good works, however good they are. She's going to be saved on the basis of what Christ has done upon the cross. And that's the truth. Okay, that's our first, my first friend Gladys. My second friend is called Cam Sorm. Okay, Cam Sorm. Cam Sorm is from Thailand. And he is a devout Buddhist. And would not intentionally hurt a fly. So he's a man of peace. He believes in karma. And feels that his prayers bring him close to God. And will give him a good reincarnation. Is he saved on this basis? And again, we're looking for a scripture. What scripture do you know? If you came along and he believed this, this Buddhist, Thai, Thai Buddhist, that he was, uh, <coughs> that he was saved because he's, he was, a, again, he was, the man of peace had karma. What? Yes, Mark. Yep, that's a good one. Yeah, I guess one is born again. Another good one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we could have had that one. Lord. Yeah. Is that, that's the one I've got, I think. There's no... Yeah, this is the one I chose anyway. And you can choose others. Nor is there salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And we're going to come up against that in our pluralist society. We're going to come up against people that say, well, I'm, I'm a devout Muslim, I'm a devout Hindu, whatever it is. I, I, I believe in God. And uh, <coughs> we, we can't give them any assurance that they're saved. Because this is what the scripture teaches. And we've got to live by scripture. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. We can't be saved by any, any, any other religion but through Jesus. Why is that? Why are those men are devout? Again, if we say they're just devout, they're trusting in their good works, uh, <coughs> which doesn't save us. Our good works don't save us. We've already said that. But this is saying that, uh, <coughs> that really Jesus is the only one that that's paid the price. It's only through entering in to God's presence by the blood of Jesus can we be saved. Only he has made a way for us, not all these other religions. So there we are. So that's Kansom's problem. He's got to believe that Jesus is the only answer to his sins and not his own... Uh, Devoutness. Let's look at our third friend of mine, Miss Truth number three. She's called Louise. 
Louise is a 30-year-old and has grown up in a Christian home and her parents are very committed to the church. When she was a teenager, she went to quite a few Christian camps and made some response in the meetings, but was never too bothered about faith. She now lives in her own flat and her career is going well, so she does not have much time for the church. However, she thinks that as she was brought up in a Christian home, she will be saved. Is she right? Is she right? Oh, you may disagree with some of my answers, by the way. I'm happy. Please say if you disagree and bring a scripture which proves that I'm wrong or you think I'm wrong. Uh, we won't have a debate about it here, but we can talk about it afterwards. So what do you think about Louise? She thinks that because she's grown up in a Christian home, she'll be saved. Is there a scripture that would, undermark, would, would dis discount that? Silence from the ranks. Pardon? I am the, 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 the gate, except by me. Yeah. 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 You could say that. This this is the one I chose. Not by works of righteousness, got that issue, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of new birth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's, we can only be saved by new birth, not by our old birth. However good it was, however nice our parents were, we, uh, we're not going to be saved by that because we need a new birth, as, uh, as, as Grace said earlier. So we, it's because that's what baptism is a picture of, that we're going to the water, we, we submit to Christ, we become one with Christ, and we've raised up a new person. And uh, that's what saves us, not our natural birth. So I'm sorry, Louise, I think you're mistaken. Let's look at our fourth friend of mine called Billy. Uh, Billy was named after Billy Graham, who incidentally was 99 this week. Bless him for all his ministry. So he's named after Billy Graham, and he is a very zealous Christian. So much so that he often chastises other people for not having enough faith, particularly those with long-term sicknesses. Perhaps we've all met those sort of people. He's an intense person, and believes that people must strive to believe so they will be saved. Is he right? You want me to read it again? Uh, Billy is a very zealous Christian, so much so that often he chastises other people for not having enough faith, particularly those with long-term sicknesses. He is an intense person, and believes that people must strive to believe so they will be saved. Is he right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
well, he might be, yeah. I mean, oh, he is saved. I mean, I'm not saying he isn't saved, but I'm saying but he's, he's, he's imposing this, this intensity upon others. Whereas it's grace, yeah, grace. And this is, this is the one he believes their ability to have faith will get people saved. But this is what scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. It is not something you can strive for to get. Again, it would come down to good work, to works. But rather, it's as you receive faith, as you come to God and say, Lord, I can't, I can't believe, help thou my unbelief, that the grace of God starts to work and we get saved and we have that witness within our hearts that we are saved. Uh, <coughs> Sorry, just... Uh, and this is the thing, it is God's grace to you and is not a formula. That's one of the things that I think the evangelical church has... Uh, misrepresented God in in that we've said do this say this prayer and you are saved that is not how you get saved it might be a step along the way you get saved because God's grace God does something inside you produces faith in you which enables you to believe and enables you to receive all that he wants for you it is not a formula and Billy is thinking that it's a formula to get to people, to, to get them saved. And uh, that isn't what it is. I'm sure he's had a, his own experience, which has been good. Uh, but uh, we must be careful. I think that's one of the, again, one of the things we err, is that we say, well, of course, do this, do that, and, and you're saved. Instead of saying, well, Lord, it's what God does inside you. You can know whether you're saved or not this morning. There's a witness within your heart that says, yes. Because that's what God does. So we, um, that's the truth, really. That's the truth about salvation and that. Let's look at another friend of mine. I've only got six more. This is Desdemona. The names get a little bit more exotic as we move on. <laughs> My friend Desdemona. What's her issue? She's a very private person and doesn't like sharing what she is feeling. She particularly believes that faith is a personal matter and should not be discussed and has never been baptised or made a public confession of faith. She sort of believes in her mind, but do you think she is saved? Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. Simon's got it, but he's got the one I've got. She believes it does not matter if she tells anyone, but what she thinks in her heart. And this is what Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Scripture says. I mean, all these things are what Scripture says, not what Paul Cross says, what Scripture says. Okay, so there needs to be, I, I think if you're really saved, you'll want to go and tell people. You want to say, I've been saved. Amen, I've been saved. I was a drowning man. I was a condemned woman. And God has saved me. And you say, actually, I want to tell everyone. I want to make a public confession of it. That's why baptism is important. 
You know, when you read your New Testament, you read that, not, like the Great Commission, didn't just say, go into all the world and make disciples, it said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you realize that it is part and parcel of salvation is that there's a confession. There's, an, there's a confession of what's in the heart, because what the heart in the heart, you speak what's in your heart in the end. You might hide it for a little while, but in the end, what's in your heart comes out through your mouth. That's a golden principle of life. And if, you, if you've been saved, you're what you're confessing. You say, I know I'm saved. They might line me up against the wall and put a machine gun at me and say, deny Jesus. And say, I can't because he's done something inside me. And you can't but confess it. So, is she saved? Probably not. But I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not condemning people on the basis of what I've told you. I'm just uh, giving you something to think about, really. Okay, my sixth friend is called Kirk. Kirk has led a wild life, <laughs> he's an alcoholic and has taken virtually every type of recreational drug you can imagine. He has served time in prison for stabbing someone who looked at him strangely where he was feared by other inmates. <coughs> he is currently out of work, his girlfriend has left him, and he's starting to feel desperate about his life, but does not really believe Jesus could save someone so messed up. What do you think? from scripture. What do you think? <coughs> Is it? He believes he's too bad to be saved. Pardon? Yeah. Could say that, yeah. Pardon? Yeah, chief of sinners. Paul said he was a chief of sinners, yeah. Pun? Prodigal son, yeah. Who's this? Grace? Yeah, whoever. That's right. We could. <laughs> right, this is the one I came up with. He is able to save to the uttermost, it's complete and final. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lived to make intercession for him. Jesus Christ, <coughs> his death upon the cross means that we can be saved to the uttermost. Doesn't matter how bad we are, doesn't matter how awful our lives have been, we're really all the same. Our lives are all awful in ourselves. If we look into our hearts, they can be black. And maybe this guy, he, he just had more opportunity than you and I. But anyway, he's, uh, he's messed up. But the truth is, you can tell him, Jesus can save you. Jesus can save you from alcoholism. Jesus can save you from drug, uh, uh, drug addiction. That's our gospel. Because Jesus died for you when you're that messed up. Jesus can, you've got all the baggage of everything you've been through. And yet Jesus can save, hallelujah. And we've got to believe it. So Kirk, please.
please believe that Jesus can save you from all that stuff. Amen. Right, my seventh friend with a mistruth is Selena. Selena's a Christian who believes that God loves her. She has two young children, who she do, but she does not believe she should discipline them so they annoy other people by their behaviour in church. I had two of those. So God can save anyone, can't he? <laughs> she believes God is so kind that he would never send anyone into punishment. Is she right? This is something we're going to come up with, come up against. I think Simon's going to deal with this next week, so I won't go too deeply into it. Fair play for <laughs> taking that on. Listen, she believes God is so kind that he would not condemn anyone to eternal punishment. Uh, you could say that, yeah. Pun? The wages of sin is death, yeah. All good answers. She believes this, God will annihilate the bad people and save the Jesus people. This is what Jesus said. If your eye calls you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown to hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Sobering. Sobering. That's the words of Jesus, not, not even Paul. That's the words of Jesus. There is a hell. There is a hell, and there will be eternal punishment. But I'll leave you to uh, <coughs> hear about that next week. Okay, mistruth number eight, Bradley. Okay, <coughs> Bradley is a friend of Louise, who we heard about earlier. You know, the girl that thought she was saved because she was in a Christian home. They were friends in the youth group at church when they were teenagers. Bradley, though, made a clear response to the Lord at a camp. And for a couple of years, he was on fire for God. However, as he went through his 20s, his zeal diminished. And he's ended up living with his girlfriend, thinks nothing of fiddling his taxes, and hates his brother for earning more money than him. He thinks, as he responded as a teenager, that he is saved. Is he right?
This is perhaps a more controversial one. This is what scripture, for if we sin willfully after we've received knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Uh, I, I think there are those, and you might be one of them, that believes once saved, always saved. I, I find it really difficult to believe that from scripture, personally. Once saved, always saved. Um, but you might disagree with me. Scripture also says, I declare to you the gospel which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you. There's an if there, isn't there? What Scripture teaches. I don't think someone that, that so willfully, not someone that unintentionally sins or you know, gets it wrong, makes mistakes. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who willfully sets their heart and says, I'm into sin. I think Scripture would say that. Well, I'm here to talk about the truth about salvation. And I'm going to present what I believe the Scripture says. Okay, let's move on then. My ninth friend, Jemima. Jemima is a Christian environmentalist and believes the created world must be preserved at all costs. She's a member of Friends of the Earth and avidly watches Blue Planet at the moment, which is a good program, and believes that the world is slowly evolving into a better place, unless man ruins it with his technology. She believes that God would want to save the planet, even if it means people are harmed in doing so. Is she right? This is slightly different. She believes the created world is good and doesn't need saving. What do you believe from Scripture? That's right. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is a sense where God will eventually destroy this world. He won't destroy the people he saves, but he will destroy this world because the world is full of corruption. Things like volcanoes and earthquakes are the earth groaning, it says, under the power of sin. That may be difficult to understand, but that's what it seems the scripture would say. And God will eventually destroy it. Some people say Jesus will, it's when Jesus returns, the earth will be destroyed. Other people believe Jesus will come and live on this earth for a while, for a season, and rule it. And then it will be destroyed. But whatever you believe, that's the earth. The world, in the end, will not be saved, but people will be. Okay, you're pleased to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put a bit more in there. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives 
in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because a lot of the problems in the earth are caused by the sin of men that have caused it to go out of kilter. And there will be a new earth where it won't be affected by the sin of men anymore. <clears throat> okay, so you're pleased to know we've reached my last friend. And my last friend is called Calvin. <clears throat> Calvin is a committed Christian and goes to a church which believes that God has chosen to be saved only those who agree with their doctrines. And therefore, there is no point in sharing his faith with anyone outside of his church as God will lead them to them if they are to be saved. Is he right? Is Mr. Calvin right? Calvin believes he believes God only wants certain people to be saved. Sorry? Yeah, all the world, yeah. Yeah, I put God who desired all men to be saved and come to the knowledge or love of the truth. So we can't, I mean, God may well have chosen certain people, but his heart is to save all. And we can't limit God by saying, well, of course, it's only the... Who's to say who's chosen is not chosen? And therefore, our job is to tell people to share our faith that they too can be saved, if they will. <coughs> so there we are. Ten mistruths about salvation. <laughs> A bit different. But how do you do it? How to do these things differently? So that you get over your point. Uh, that's what I think the truth about salvation. But just to remind us, as we draw to a close, is the fact that Jesus is our saviour. Jesus is your saviour this morning. There's no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved. No other name. And uh, no good us putting our faith to be saved in in our works, it's no good being as putting our faith in, a, in another religion, no good putting our faith in our upbringing, no good putting our faith in faith, no good putting our faith in something that's happened in, in the past. We, we've got to say, my faith is in God. He is my saviour. He is the one that, that can, do, can save me. Do we believe that this morning? Is that how confidence we have as we go out, as we, we meet people? You can be saved. You can say, no matter how bad you are, you can be saved. God's, got a heart, God's heart is great enough to embrace you. The cross has, has paid the price for you, written the check. It's the life belt. It's the thing you can grab hold of, and you can be saved. But of course, so many would say, well, that's no, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, and paddling away, trying to save themselves. Who alone can save themselves, we sung earlier? 
Oh no, we didn't sing that. <laughs> Did we sing that one? I can't remember. Uh, who alone can save themselves? You can't. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. He alone can rescue from the grave. He came down and found us. Made a way out of sin. What? Led us out of sin, yeah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all Jesus this morning. He's our saviour. And only as we trust him do we find that we can be saved. Let's pray. Father.